Kids, we hope you have a, a great time in the back. If you're remaining, I'd encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 4 uh, in your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can follow it along in the bulletins um, or on the screen as well. Our passage this morning, before we get into it, our passage this morning really talks about temptation. And we all know what temptation is. It's a, a strong desire um, to do something or to have something that, that probably may or may not be uh, healthy for us or even wise for us to do, and yet that strong desire exists. And when you think about it, temptation is really all over the scriptures. If you've read, if you've read it, it's all over. It's almost probably on every page. It starts with Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, the serpent comes along and tempts them. And of course, they give into the temptation. And that meant they were exiled from the Garden of Eden. And they were sent out into the wilderness east of Eden. It didn't take long for their son, Cain, to also be tempted. He was uh, tempted to kill his brother Abel, which he gave into that temptation. And then he got cast further into the wilderness, uh, further east of Eden. If you keep reading, you come to the nation of Israel. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and they lived under constant temptation Uh, to stray away from God, uh, to stray away from his laws, temptation to to worship the the idols and uh, the religions that were all around them. Most often they gave in to that temptation. And there are a few positive examples. You think of uh, uh, Joseph and his temptations that he resisted. You think of Job, uh, one of the oldest probably stories in all of the scripture, who uh, was visited by tragedy after tragedy and was probably tempted every step of the way to curse God, but he refused to do so. And if you were with us uh, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about David in the cave when he was in the wilderness, and I'm sure he was tempted uh, to kill King Saul, but he resisted that temptation and honored the Lord instead. So there are some positive examples, but temptation is all over the Bible. And part of that is because temptation is just a part of human existence. It's present in our lives as well. Every day, we face all sorts of temptations. Have you ever tried to go on a diet before? And you've said, maybe you've sat down at the dinner table and you've said, all right, we got pizza here. I'm only going to eat three pieces of pizza. And after those three pieces of these three slices, you look at that fourth and man, that just looks really good. You're tempted to eat that fourth piece of pizza. Or, or maybe, if that doesn't resonate to you, maybe the snooze bar resonates with you. We have these alarm clocks, and you hit the snooze bar, and uh, you say, I'm only going to hit the snooze bar once, um, and then it goes off again, and you think, I'm going to hit that again. I had a late night last night. I just need to sleep another extra 10 minutes. So temptation's a part of our uh, existence all the time. Um, and sometimes temptation takes a serious form. Maybe there's temptations towards addiction, uh, temptations towards things like infidelity or theft or integrity, and sometimes those temptations come with great risk. If we give into those temptations, it can create all sorts of carnage in our own lives and our relationships, the lives of others as well. But I have to think that there's also spiritual temptations that we face all the time as well. Every single day, you and I were we're tempted not to worship God above all other things, and instead we want to worship other things, place them before God. We want to worship ourselves and call our own shots. 
probably every day we're tempted to doubt the goodness of God, to doubt whether his plan is really the right one for our lives. And so we have lots of doubts. We're tempted to trust in ourselves rather than trust in God alone. So temptation in all sorts of shapes and variety are all around us every day. They're common to life in this world that we call fallen. Uh, they're They're common to life that is lived east of Eden. And how it relates is this, and that is we all have temptations, but I think those temptations are particularly hard when we are in the wilderness particularly hard when we're in the wilderness. If you've been with us this summer, you know we've been looking at all of these characters who spent uh, time in the wilderness. God sent them into the wilderness for one reason or another, and God met them in a special and unique way in the wilderness. And we've related it to our own experiences. We're not cast into physical deserts or maybe a physical wilderness, like a Bear Grylls show or something along those lines. But we experience circumstantial wilderness periods, um, maybe emotional wilderness periods, definitely periods in our life where we feel like we are living through some sort of spiritual wilderness. And the thing about temptations is that they always feel stronger when we are in those periods, when we are in the wilderness. Why? Because we're vulnerable in those moments. Um, we, we might feel very alone. We feel very weak. And so the voice of those temptations gets a little louder when we're in those vulnerable wilderness places. And that's what makes our passage this morning so powerful, which I promise we're going to get to in just a second. Our passage this morning in Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at a man who is in the desert faced with temptation, but this isn't just any ordinary man. This is Jesus Christ himself. He's not just another character in the scriptures that we're looking at, but he is the primary subject of the entire scriptures. And what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus himself was led into the wilderness, and it was there that he faced temptation. So let's look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Again, you can follow along in your bulletins or on the screens behind me as well. This is God's word. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours." And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall not worship, you shall worship the Lord your God and, you, and, and him only shall you serve. Verse 9, and he took him to Jerusalem and, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, 
It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is God's word. Father, you promised that your word is uh, living and active, uh, sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord, which means it, it cuts deep. It's, it's powerful, Lord, as your spirit attends to it to shape and mold our hearts. So we pray that in these next few moments as we reflect and meditate on your word, and that your spirit would take these living and active words and shape our hearts more and more into your image. May we encounter you in your scriptures. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is a, a pretty significant passage. It's a pretty significant passage in the story of Jesus Christ and his life here on earth. But I think one of the first things to note about this passage when it comes to Jesus is that he was intentionally sent by the Spirit into the wilderness. There was intentionality behind this action. Luke, if you read the sections before it, um, Luke uh, just told us about Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, and you get the sense that this is now the, the start or the commencement of Jesus's public ministry. Uh, at his baptism, which was a pretty unique moment, it says that the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven that said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So here's Jesus in this moment getting his ministerial endorsement from God himself, a voice that came from heaven. Right after Luke tells us a story, he goes on to tell the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so he's intentional about tracing Jesus' lineage all the way back to King David, who we spoke about earlier this summer, and really all the way back to Adam and Eve uh, from the very beginning. And so we have Jesus, as we come to our passage, we have Jesus, he's in the Spirit, he's just received this pretty amazing reference letter uh, from God the Father himself. Luke has told us about his lineage, he's told us about his pedigree, and so now it is time for Jesus to get started. It's time for his public ministry to begin. It's time for him to burst onto the scene and start to unveil the work of the kingdom of God. But not so quick. Instead, what the Spirit does before Jesus launches into this public ministry, instead what the Spirit does is it sends him into the wilderness. For 40 days and for 40 nights, Jesus fasts in the wilderness. No food, likely very minimal drink. And then when Jesus is likely at his weakest moment, uh, obviously you live in the desert for 40 days, that's going to take a toll on your body. You're going to be very weak. You're going to be exhausted. So in Jesus' weakest physical moment, he is visited by the devil. Luke tells us, and he is tempted. Now, the devil's crafty. He approaches Jesus in sort of three different ways or three different approaches, and the first temptation has to do with bread. Uh, you read about this in really verses three to four, and if you've been with us, you'll know we've talked about how bread is a theme that is consistent all throughout the scriptures. We should do a whole sermon series at one point on the theme of bread that exists in the scriptures, and here it shows up again. 
And what the devil does is he exploits Jesus' identity as the Son of God, and he tempts him to turn the stones that are around him into bread. Now, when it comes to bread, remember back to the story of how God provided bread for the nation of Israel uh, in the desert. They were in the desert just like Jesus. They were hungry just like Jesus, and so God sends manna, bread from heaven. That word manna literally means what is it? Bread from heaven that God provided for their needs every single day. Then if you fast forward a little bit, you know that Jesus, uh, just as he gets into his public ministry, one of his miracles was taking a few loaves of bread and multiplying them in a way that fed 5,000 plus people. So all that to say that God is in the business of bread. He's in the business of bread making, and the devil, of course, knows this as well. And so he tempts Jesus, but Jesus refuses. Why does Jesus refuse this temptation? Well, he knows that the Spirit had led him into the wilderness for a reason. And for him to command that stone into bread would be to short-circuit the Father's plans for Jesus as he spent this time in the wilderness. That's why Jesus says to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, of quote, taken directly from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, was Jesus hungry? Absolutely. He certainly would have been hungry. Now, I don't know about you, but I get a little cranky when I get hungry. Um, we, we do car trips from time to time as a family, and what my wife has learned to do is, is she packs a bag of food. We literally call it the feed bag for our car trips. And uh, she tells me very kindly it's for the kids, but probably it's for me because I'm the one that gets probably the most cranky on these car trips. And so we all know what it's like to, to be hungry and to be a little cranky as a result of it. And so as we think about this passage, was Jesus hungry? Absolutely he was hungry. This wasn't a four-hour car ride. This was 40 days and nights, a 40-day and night retreat into the desert. Jesus' body is likely bordering on starvation at this moment. And yet, despite it all, despite it all, it was more important for him to fulfill the will of the Father. He trusted the Father for his sustenance. He trusted in the Father for his very own life. Why? Because he was singularly driven by his love and his trust for God the Father. And then, of course, Mark and, and, and Matthew later tell us that even after this moment, after the devil departed, angels came and attended to him. The second temptation had to do with power. You read about this in verses 5 to 8. Uh, the devil takes Jesus and shows him the kingdoms of the world in an instant. That really struck me as I looked at this passage uh, anew this week. Uh, the devil showed him the kingdoms of this world in a moment. And I have to imagine that the devil wasn't just showing him the kingdoms of the world that were present at that time, but probably the kingdoms of the world all throughout human history. So the, the ancient kingdom of Greece and Rome, the kingdoms of Persia, the, the Ottoman Empire, maybe he even saw uh, the American nation, all the kingdoms of the world in just one moment. And the devil in that moment offers Jesus all of these kingdoms. He offers all of them to Jesus in a moment. 
Jesus is promised here by the devil all the power and all the glory, fame, fortune, the prestige of um, being a king of all these kingdoms are part of the package. Jesus, if he agreed, would be immediately transported from the desert into the throne room, and all Jesus would need to do was simply bow the knee at that moment. This is the temptation of power, and one that is common to our existence today as well, our daily lives. We might not um, sort of be bordering on the rule of a nation or rule of a kingdom, but we know about the temptation of power that plays out in politics today, the temptation towards power that plays out in our workplace and in our schools. We have instances of this all over the place. You could rule it all. You could wield tremendous power. You don't have to listen to your boss anymore. You can be the one that is in charge. You don't need to struggle under other people's authority for any longer. This is the temptation that Jesus has faced, one that we see in little ways day in and day out. But what does Jesus do? He refuses once again. He quotes Deuteronomy 6. Once again, he responds with the scriptures. He quotes Deuteronomy 6 in the face of this temptation. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus will, the scriptures tell us, Jesus will eventually receive all of the kingdoms of this world. They will all be brought under his own authority at the end of all things. But first, Jesus would need to follow the will of the Father, not the schemes of the devil. He would need to follow the will of the Father. So he's tempted with bread, he's tempted with power, and then finally the devil brings him to Jerusalem in verses 9 to 12. Likely Jesus was brought up to what was called the royal porch in the temple, and that royal porch stood at at the highest peak in the city of Jerusalem, looked over the Kidron Valley, and most people believe that off of that royal, royal porch was a great cliff. And so the devil brings Jesus to that in just a moment, and he tempts Jesus to to throw himself off of that porch and allow his angels to come and to rescue him. Uh, Imagine the spectacle that would have been for everyone to see this happen, Jesus flinging himself off the porch and then his angels coming to his rescue. But Jesus once again refuses the temptation. Once again, he quotes the scriptures in order to resist that temptation. Really, Jesus, this is talk about Jesus sacrificing his own life, but Jesus would later on need to sacrifice his life, but it would not be in this way. Instead, it would be the way in which God the Father prescribed. So if you're you're sort of paying attention, you can see a pattern here. In each approach, the devil comes to Jesus and simply twists and turns God's word in just a small and subtle way. The devil comes, he subtly distorts God's word. He subtly turns that truth of God into a lie. And if you have read Genesis chapter 3, this is the very thing he does in the Garden of Eden. And it worked with the first Adam. It worked with Adam in the garden, but it would not work with this second Adam, what the scriptures call Jesus, a second Adam. The first Adam gave in to temptation 
and it brought sin and it brought death and it brought the consequences that you and I live in every single day. But Jesus resisted that temptation in order to bring forgiveness and in order to bring life. In each approach, if you're paying attention, in each approach, Jesus' trust of the Father is tempted. That's the prevailing theme behind all of this. Jesus' trust in the Father is tempted. Don't trust in God the Father for your sustenance and for your physical well-being. Instead, just simply turn this stone into bread. Don't trust in God for authority and power in the kingdoms of this world. I can give you all of that. Don't trust in God's path for you. Instead, throw yourself off this cliff. The whole world will see it, and as your angels will come to your rescue. Every step of the way, don't trust in the Father. Instead, trust in me or trust in yourself. Don't trust in the Father to get you out of this wilderness in his timing and in his place. Instead, trust in yourself. It's the same lie that was in the Garden of Eden, and it's the same lie that you and I are confronted with day in and day out. Don't trust God. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. Instead, believe and trust in yourself and your own interests. We hear this all the time. So Jesus is tempted with this very same thing that you and I are tempted with, and yet Jesus resisted that temptation. The Spirit led him into the wilderness, and he would need to trust in the Father in that wilderness in order to preserve his life. He would not choose his own path to glory. Instead, he would trust in the Father's path for his life. And again, you and I are confronted with that very same thing every single day day. It all boils down to this. Will you trust God with your life? Will you trust him with your life? Will you trust him with whatever wilderness period you might be living through? Will you trust him with your circumstances? Will you trust him with your challenges? Will you ultimately trust him for your own salvation? That's the very heart of the gospel, the very question the gospel presents to us. You know, when you think about it, all of Jesus' earthly life had to feel like a wilderness period. You know, we've talked about all these different characters and their, their time in the wilderness. We come to Jesus, and you have to think that his entire life had to feel like a wilderness period. He left all the bliss and the glory of heaven uh, to be born to poor teenagers who lived in a backwater town. He took on our humanity. And that meant he took on all the aches and pains that you and I feel. He took on sickness. He took on soreness. He spent 40 days, 40 nights fasting in the desert, as we just read about. And as you move forward in his life, you see constant suffering. You see constant ridicule. And in the end, our Savior, Jesus Christ, would be betrayed by one of his closest disciples he would be arrested by his very own creation. He would be stripped and spit upon, mocked from afar and close up. He would be ultimately crucified for you and I. You see, what the devil was offering to Jesus in that moment was an escape from all that. It was an escape from all of that wilderness that Jesus would need to suffer. The devil was offering Jesus the easier way out. But Jesus refused. He refused because the will of the Father was the will for him to go 
to the cross and suffer. Just think about Jesus, one of the most, I think, one of the most powerful um, stories in all of the Gospels. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his arrest. Think about his prayers and his pleading with the Father through tears. Father, is there any other way? And of course, in that moment, the divine answer straight from the Father to Jesus' heart was no. There is no other easy way. There is no out. This is the path that Jesus would need to experience. He would need to experience the ultimate wilderness of the cross, and he resisted that temptation. He endured through that ultimate wilderness. He did it so that you and I could experience life and salvation and forgiveness. He did it so that if you and I place our trust in him above other things, no matter what may come, no matter what life brings us, he promises to preserve us, to protect us, to adopt us, to nurture us, to care for us, to give us his own, and ultimately one day to give us the glory of heaven. So what is the, what's the walk away with from a passage like this? Trust God with your life. Jesus trusts God in the face of the wilderness. He trusts God in the face of temptation. He calls us to trust him with our lives, even if that means we have to follow him through the wilderness. There's one last thing, if you'll indulge me. I know my points are done, but there's one last thing that I think is so important here. Sometimes I think the hardest thing about the wilderness periods, and as we've talked this summer, we're either headed into one, coming out of one, or living through one, right? One of the hardest things about the wilderness periods that we feel in life so often is that we feel alone in those moments. It's as if nobody quite understands what we're feeling. Nobody quite understands the emotions that we're involved in because our lives are complex and they're tricky and they're sticky. And we sometimes, what makes that wilderness period feel so hard is we, don't, we, not, we not only feel vulnerable, but we feel very alone in those moments as well. And then we read in Hebrews chapter 2, this verse, which I think is amazing. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What does that mean? It means Jesus has been there. He's been there. He's been tempted just like you and I are. He knows what it's like to struggle with God through the wilderness. He sympathizes with you. He has been there. So whatever you're going through, whether you're coming out of it, you're going into it, you're living through it right now, whatever you're going through, whatever wilderness period is that you're living through, let that be a comfort to you that we worship and serve a Savior who has been there and who walks with you every step of the way. Let's pray.